0: about a bunch of guys and women who were inspired by the Bible. In the 1640s they were inspired by the Bible to chop off the head of the King of England. In 1649 the St. George's Hill, a ragged band they called the figures, came to show the people's will, they died the landlord, they defied the law. They were but dispossessed with claiming what was theirs. Come in peace, they said to dig and sow. We come to work the land in common, and to make the waste ground grow. This earth divided, we will make whole. So it shall be a common treasury for all. The sin of property, we do disdain. No man has any right to buy and sell the earth for private gain. By the and murder. Of the land. Now everywhere the wolves rise up at their command. They might the Lord should chain us well. The clergy dazzle us with heaven oh, or they damn us for the hell. hell. We will not worship the god they serve. The god of greed who feeds the rich while poor folks we, we work, we eat together. I ran to the Lord, still we are free. though we are poor, you take us all, stand up for glory. The men of property, the orders came. They sent the hired men and traversed to wipe out the diggers' clans. Tear down their cottages and destroy their corn. They were dispersed, but still the vision lingers on. You poor take courage, you rich take care. This world was made a common treasury for everyone to share all things in common. All people won We come in peace The orders came to cut them down again. We come in peace the orders, the orders came to cut them down the, ladies and gentlemen. the world turned upside down Leon Russellson wrote that we had a great time here at the Pace Party. Hope you have. Listen, did anybody film that? It was great.
1: How much time do we have?
2: Oh, yeah. Hi, everyone. It's Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice. You're listening to Here We Stand November 26th. And, of course, one of our theme songs, The World Turned Upside Down, as it was in January 1649 when another King Charles had his head chopped off. November 20th. King Charles III had his head chop- chopped off legally, morally, politically when he was found guilty along with 35 other people in a new Crimes Against Humanity court case that finished after two months on the west coast of Canada. We're going to go into details today of how we're enforcing the verdict of that court. But the fact is, folks, the crown has always been a fiction, and now it's gone again. The question is, will you act in the freedom of that absence? What will you create in its place? That's a question posed today by the dead, by many victims of church and state in Canada and around the world, by our brother Owen Lucas, who languishes illegally in a British prison right now, facing no charges and yet facing trial tomorrow. Because one of the things Owen Lucas did in our common law republic movement, he talked about the evidence against Charles Mountbatten-Windsor, the fact that he, as Prince Charles, had issued the kill order against William Coombs, our brother, after William reported seeing Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip abduct those children who were never seen again. And the evidence is now inconclusive. The court verdict is bona fide under international law. We're going to go into the details of that. The The case that has, this case especially, has the establishment worried because present at the court were international observers, judicial experts, police and diplomatic representatives from four different countries who are observing the case. And we're going to go into why this case is different and the power it has, especially the community enforcement of the verdict that we'll be going into. Today on the show as well, we're not only going to be talking about that, but we're going to do a primer on genocide, the basic facts that was the basis of the court decision that is consistently being erased from public memory and also preparing people for the December 2nd workshop on our Common Law Republic. That's next Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. If you'd like to be part of that online workshop of how we're building the Common Law Republic to replace the illegitimate and criminal Crown of England, you can uh, just contact us, angelfire101 at protonmail.com. You could be part of the online workshop. And today, of course, we're also going to have updates on Owen Lucas and other interesting things that have been happening. You can follow all of our work, murderbydecree.com, especially under ITCCS updates, and Republic of Kanata, K-A-N-A-T-A, republicofkanata.org. And especially welcome to some of the new listeners that I know are there in Europe who haven't listened to the show today but are helping to monitor these whole proceedings for our international common law court network. First of all, let's talk about Owen Lucas He's been in Swansea prison in Wales for the past two weeks. He was in England, and he was boarding a ferry back to his home in Ireland when the police grabbed him. No charges were laid. He was held illegally in Swansea prison. No contact was allowed. Uh, He was held in isolation. And the prison authorities kept saying that he didn't want contact with people, which we know is a total lie. He's being put on an illegal trial tomorrow in Haverford West, which is in Wales. And we've um, mobilized people in England to go down there and not only pick up the prison but the court and to try to get in there and monitor what's going on and to get him free. The As I mentioned, Owen Lucas had mentioned on the air about the indictment and charges against so-called King Charles, Charles Mountbatten-Windsor, and um, the fact that he's now a convicted offender. So the very fact that Prince Charles issued the kill order against William Coombs, which you can see in the court verdict, by the way, uh, go to uh, MurderbyDecree.com under ITCCS Updates. Go to the November 20th posting, the latest posting. You'll see all the evidence there about how Prince Charles ordered it through his security advisor, Major Johnny Thompson. So we'll keep you posted about Owen Lucas. And especially if you know people in England, let us know so that we can mobilize him to get our brother out of prison and back onto our territory where he has some protection. Another announcement. um, One of the convicted offenders is a guy I know personally, Roman Catholic Church Archbishop in Vancouver, Michael Miller. Now, he was the guy who replaced uh, his predecessor, Raymond Russo, who died of a uh, heart attack very soon after we began our church occupations. And both Raymond Rusin and Michael Miller are active members of what's called the 12 Mile Club. This child trafficking network operates out of the Vancouver Club and all over the west coast of British Columbia. And there was uh, one of the issues that the court brought out is the fact that there was uh, this 12 Mile Club involved the very United Church clergy who destroyed my life, who took me out and helped destroy the movement and uh, kill Harriet Nahani, William Coombs, Johnny Bingo Dawson, some of the people in the court docket because we began to uncover the fact that they had they were part of this whole decades-long child trafficking network on the west coast now michael miller the archbishop it's very interesting two days after the verdict came out on november 22nd he announced to his congregation that he was going on an indefinite prayer leave and retreat surprise surprise there and he also issued an internal memo to all catholic churches in vancouver ordering them to hire extra security. I guess they're worried about, uh, as they should be, us showing up with our uh, warrant to arrest the guy. This is a universal warrant, It has universal jurisdiction can be enforced by anybody, not only our deputized sheriff and dep- deputized police, but any member of the public under a community enforcement law has the right to make citizen arrests against these people. And so he's gone now. He's buggered off somewhere. But what's also interesting is that another Catholic priest in Vancouver at St. Augustine Catholic Church, that's 2028 West 7th Avenue in Vancouver, if you want to check it out. The guy's name is Ignacy Warius. And just last month, he called the Vancouver police when he found some of our leaflets in the church. Well, this guy's especially worried, of course, because Ignacy Warius, the main priest at St. Augustine Church in Vancouver, He, uh, in July 2014, suddenly resigned his parish in Morinville, Alberta, and came into Michael Miller's diocese in Vancouver and took up the parish at St. Augustine there in Kitsilano. Well, guess what, folks? Ignacio Warius had just been accused of child rape in Morinville, Alberta, and so he went to the safe, protected area with his buddy Archbishop Michael Miller. And so, uh, you know, what's also interesting about the date of his resignation, July 31st, 2014, guess who else resigned that day? Jesuit leader Adolfo Pachon, who had been invict- convicted in our uh, the International Kamala Court verdict, the second one, uh, that forced the resignation of the so-called uh, black pope, Jesuit leader Adolfo Pachon, the first time in history that it happened. No coincidence there, folks. They had to do a house cleaning. They got everybody to step down and go to safe areas to uh, be protected. So that's some of the uh, indication of the impact we do have. You know, people will often write and say, how come you haven't arrested these people, Kev? Well, the point is, they are under arrest. They put themselves under arrest. They go into hiding. And the important thing now is that we now have even more power. And here's another example. This is also very good news. After the conviction came down the next day, we heard from two of the convicted offenders. They want to cut a deal. They want to share more information of who's responsible for these things. We're not going to say who they are, but um, it's within the power of the court to mitigate the sentence if they provide more information, point fingers and more people, and more indictments can go out. So that's an example, folks, of how the power of these common law courts is growing. We're actually causing them to break ranks and turn against each other. And that's what happens when you're public enough and persistent enough. So that's all very good news. And the other thing about the court is that, um, very important to remember, under the community enforcement warrant, anybody can arrest these people. Any of you are empowered to do that. You don't do it as an individual. You get training, you get organized. Write to us, angelfire101 at protonmail.com, and learn how to get on board. There's no excuse anymore. We have the power to do this. The question is, and what's lacking, is the will of people and the courage to do it. We've already broken the trail on this. You can now follow. And uh, so all of this is very encouraging news. And there's going to be more updates on that all the time at MurderByDecree.com under ITCC updates. But most importantly, get on board with this thing. Um, Now, here's some other important things that came out of the court trial. One of the the facts that came out, I mentioned this network of 12 Mile Club conspirators involving the Very United Church clergy and the Catholic and Anglican churches who have been on us so much over the years. Because this isn't just about the murder of 60,000 Indigenous children in the so-called residential schools, which we proved conclusively. And all the evidence is there at MurderByDecree.com of that. This is also about the ongoing trafficking and killing of children today. One of the facts that was proved in the court case, and these are uncontested facts which are now under law, they are truth. And the RCMP funded a six-year, for six years, between 1998 and 2004. Peter Montague of the RCMP Black Ops Division in Vancouver was given over $9 million to conduct this targeting of our movement. The Truth Commission, the genocide in Canada that Harry and Nahani and I set up, and then from that the friends and relatives of the disappeared that organized all these church protests and, and occupations, and that really forced the apology in Canada. That there was a black ops operation of nine million dollars to shut that thing down, and it involved Montague. And it's interesting because it's Peter Montague. If you look in the indictment that I mentioned and in the the verdict of the court. He's named most often. He has three consecutive life sentences imposed by the court on November 20th, as does Charles Windsor, not Mountbatten-Windsor, Jorge Begoglio, Bishop of Rome. It's all there. It's too much to repeat, but it's all now online and fact under the law. Another interesting, funny thing that happened was it shows you the state of censorship and cover-up. Uh, this last week, there was a teach-in. It's really uh, what they call a Pro-D Day for teachers in Vancouver, run by the Vancouver School Board. It was a Pro-D Day on Indigenous issues. So some of our people showed up there, actually at the invitation of one of the teachers. They were invited guests. They came in, and they sat through this agonizing experience of watching the local uh, a broadcast from the local native politicians, babbling on about Reconciliation without once mentioning genocide or dead residential school kids or the churches and governments responsible, the Catholic, Anglican, United Churches. So in response, they began to share my material, an, an appeal to the teachers to bring our material into their curriculum, to look at MurderByDecree.com and get the facts, the hard evidence of mass murder into the new curriculum so that the next generation of children aren't as dumbed down as the present generation is. Guess what happened? Within about 30 minutes, the principal of Lord Bing Secondary School, where this event was going on, his name is Damian Willman, he showed up and he told them to get out, even though they were invited guests. He banned them from the premises of the school, and he ordered the seizure of all of the material that was being sent out. And in justifying it, he said, quote, Kevin Annett is persona non grata with the Vancouver School Board. In other words, the Vancouver City Council, which is kind of interesting because I had never heard about that. I didn't know my blacklisting and censorship was official like that. But it's interesting because we had just sent an order to, in September to the Vancouver City Council and the school board trustees that they had to stop tax exemptions and licensing of the Catholic Anglican United, United Churches in Vancouver, or they would be complicit under international law with a crime against humanity. Well, of course, they ignored us. But now they put out the word, of course, that I'm somehow this bad person because they don't want this knowledge going into the schools where they're so vulnerable. But again, if you know teachers, if you know students, get them on board with this information. And if you'd like to contact Principal Damien Willman of Lord Bing Secondary School in Vancouver to ask him why he banned this court-proven material, this truthful information on the residential school genocide, why he banned it from the premises and from a pro-D day where we had been invited in, just give him a call, folks. 604-713-8171. That's Damien Willman, the principal of Lord Bing School, 604-713-8171. You can also write to him, D. Willman, that's D-W-I-L-M-A-N-N, at vsb.bc.ca. Well, that example shows the gross level of ignorance among so-called educators today and why they need a basic primer on genocide in their own backyard. Now, one of the best ways to do that, it isn't just through MurderByDecree.com, which is kind of the definitive source. It's got a lot of the documents, the research over 25 years that I uh, put together from eyewitnesses, from government and church archives, and uh, you know all of the hard evidence, sterilization programs, orders to, uh, coming from government and churches to hide this evidence, all of this stuff proving that genocide is not only committed but ongoing. There's also a recent book that's even uh, a better compilation if to use as kind of a, uh, a better kind of classroom material because it's more concise and shorter. It's called Crimes Against Humanity in Canada, The Evidence. You can get it on Amazon or from me, Kevin Annett. Angel Fire 101 at protonmail.com, it not only looks into a summary of the, the murder and the genocide go- that went on and continues, it looks into how the crime does continue, the campaign that exposed it and then was shut down, and how that campaign is reviving again today. <clears throat> One of the things this little book does as well, it's only about 100 pages, it shows uh, the campaign to to shut down our work, and especially to target me. Because when you look at how... Somebody who is leading the campaign is targeted and taken out. It's a it's a great insight and limelight onto how the whole censorship culture and tyranny that we live under in the corporatocracy how it operates. So in the book as well is the campaign against me, and my illegal defrocking from the United Church. The minutes uh, of those events showing exactly how it goes on. So it's a very important book to have, and um, for that reason we say you know get this material. Use it where you are. And that's the best answer we have to the the censorship by people like Principal Willman, Lord Bing Secondary. Let me, uh, you know, at the break, by the way, we're going to, I'm going to give my voice a rest. We're going to listen to George Carlin, our great buddy, speaking to us from the beyond now, but he's a great political satirist. You probably know of him. But we're going to hear his 10-minute reflection on why religion is bullshit. Because, folks, it isn't, just about the crimes of the church uh, that we have to talk about, why the whole notion of religion generally is the worst um, way in history that elites have, most effective way in history, that elites have controlled the minds and the actions of the subordinated populace. So we have to see through the lie of religion, get back, as we do with the personal and the political front, spiritual reclamation owning ourselves, spiritual self-governance, the basis of everything. And so that'll be at the break. But before then, I want to touch on some of the points in this book I mentioned, Crimes Against Humanity in Canada, The Evidence, because it's, it's an essential resource to get into the schools. And um, a simple fact, between the years 1889 and 1996, over 60,000 children were deliberately and systematically murdered by the Crown, the Canadian government, the Catholic Anglican United Churches within these um, internment camps, deceptively called Indian residential schools, where the annual death rate was between 25 and 70%. That's over two-thirds of the students, starting in 1891 and continuing right up to the 1950s. Now, just to give you some perspective there, the death rate in uh, other uh, camps, like the European death camps uh, during World War II, they averaged around 25%. The average Indian residential school was two to three times that level, and yet they call them schools. You know, uh, We have in the book the death record showing the first year uh, in this one school, the Anglican Industrial School in Regina, eight of the 12 students dead because they would take the healthy, put them in with the sick, never treat them. So deliberate germ warfare to wipe out as many children as possible. That way you destroy the roots and the bases of the culture. And, um, you know, the fact that after 1920, the Canadian government abolishes all medical inspection in these residential school death camps, even though the death rate was huge. Why would they do that? Unless they're trying to cover up the facts. They deny natives the right to vote, to sue in court or hire a lawyer. And they legally legislated the sexual sterilization of any residential school child, really any native and this often happened for witnesses. we know that they uh, would hand a red tag to kids who were more intelligent or who spoke their language they 'd have to report to the local infirmary and they 'd be put under their x ray machine and they 'd be sterilized, or the girls would have their uh, their tubes tied. Now I know Jackson Steen, one of the uh, eyewitnesses and who gave testimony in our in our common uh, law court case in two thousand and twelve. Jackson Steen and all five of his brothers were sterilized that way at the uh, le- at the um, Alert Bay Anglican Indian Residential School in Vancouver Island. All five of them, because they were from the bloodline, they were all uh, traditionalists, and they were intelligent kids, and they spoke their language, so they were sterilized. I remember him sitting there telling me about it, and um, and so you know this went on, but of course you're never going to hear that in the mainstream corporate media, or in the schools in Vancouver, or anywhere in Canada unless we get these books into the curriculum. You start with teachers, get them on board, and then build from there. Start with the students as well. Approach them. The best response we always get is from high school and college students, so work on it. Also, the cover-up. Part of the book describes the, the huge cover-up, uh, the $68, eight, $68 million uh, <laughs> whitewash called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, set up by the serial killer himself, the churches and the government. To put out fake reports to erase any mention of mass murder in residential schools, and of course our campaign that began on February 9, 1998, when Harriet Nahani and I uh, held a forum in Vancouver where these things were brought out for the first time, and then out of that, the June 1998 tribunal that was the first documentation of these crimes. Well, Harriet Nahani, the survivor of the Alberni death camp, um, was herself killed. And that was one of the cases in the docket you can read about in that, uh, uh, the one I mentioned at murderbydecree.com, ITCCS updates under November 20th, Harriet Nahani, murdered by Judge Brenda Brown, ordered uh, to her illegal arrest, put in Sir Remand Center, and then died of, quote, lung cancer less than a month later. Targeted because she had helped me bring out all of this stuff, and we had begun to church occupations that same month that she was arrested illegally and murdered by Judge Brenda Brown and RCMP Inspector Peter Montague and Archbishop Michael Miller of the Catholic Church in Vancouver and many more. The ongoing crime. Well, it's obvious. Uh, We've talked about this a lot on the show, but especially in BC, the West Coast, where China is now leading the assault on the lingering land-based indigenous communities to get the liquid natural gas. And this is um, some of the stuff that was brought out in the court case I mentioned at that link. Uh, The presence of Chinese and other forces, including the RCMP, literally wiping out Native families all along the Highway of Tears. You've heard about that highway 16 in northern bc where so many people go missing but what you haven't been told is that's all, that if you trace where the disappearances are it's all along the liquid natural gas sites owned by PetroChina and Sanypec. and that's no accident these are organized uh killings and also we now have a new case developing uh court case showing how there's prostitution camps run by these chinese corporations where women and children are brought from all over north america at certain places across the border where they're brought in and taken to these camps uh, for the use of the Chinese workers and others, and then they're done away with through the RCMP at their usual body dumping site. So these are some of the crimes we're documenting now, and um, it's why this issue is so relevant. It isn't just about the past, but it does explain why the huge censorship, why the fear campaign around my name, and why the continued uh, imprisonments of our people like Owen Lucas in England when he even mentions these issues. So it's all relevant. Get on board with our campaign. Write to us, angelfire101 at protonmail.com. And now we're going to take a short break. We're going to listen to George Carlin. And after that, we're going to come back and we're going to do a, um, you could call it a spiritual reflection, but it's really what is issues of substance we have to look at going into the so-called season of Christmas. Kind of ironic, because in the Bible reading, the Christmas season begins with the mass murder of children when King Herod goes paranoid when he hears about the birth of Jesus and he kills all the firstborn males. Sound familiar? So we're going to be back after George Carlin to reflect on that and where we go from here. Thanks.
3: But in the bullshit department, in the bullshit department, a businessman can't hold a candle to a clergyman. Because I got to tell you the truth, folks. I got to tell you the truth. When it comes to bullshit, big time, major league bullshit, You have to stand in awe, in awe of the all-time champion of false promises and exaggerated claims, religion. No contest, no contest. Religion, religion easily has the greatest bullshit story ever told. Think about it, religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man He loves you, and he needs money! (laughs) He always needs money! He's all-powerful, all-perfect, all-knowing, and all-wise. Somehow, just can't handle money! (laughs) Religion takes in billions of dollars, they pay no taxes, and they always need a little more. Now, you talk about a good bullshit story. Holy shit! Thank you very much But I want you to know I want you to know something This is sincere I want you to know When it comes to believing in God I really tried I really, really tried I tried to believe that there is a God Who created each of us in his own image and likeness Loves us very much And keeps a close eye on things I really tried to believe that But I gotta tell you The longer you live The more you look around The more you realize Something is fucked up Something is wrong here. War, disease, death, destruction, hunger, filth, poverty, torture, crime, corruption, and the ice capades. (laughs) Something is definitely wrong. This is not good work. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Results like these do not belong on the resume of a supreme being. This is the kind of shit you'd expect from an office temp with a bad attitude. (laughs) And just between you and me, in between you and me in any decently run universe this guy would have been out on his all-powerful ass a long time ago (laughs) and by the way I say this guy because I firmly believe looking at these results that if there is a God it has to be a man no woman could or would ever fuck things up like this so so if 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 there is a God, if there is, I think most reasonable people might agree that he's at least incompetent and maybe, just maybe, doesn't give a shit. Doesn't give a shit, which I admire in a person and which would explain a lot of these bad results. So rather than be just another mindless religious robot, mindlessly and and aimlessly and blindly believing that all of this is in the hands of some spooky incompetent father figure who doesn't give a shit, I decided to look around for something else to worship. Something I could really count on. And immediately, I thought of the sun. Happened like that. Overnight, I became a sun worshiper. Well, not overnight, you can't see the sun at night. First thing the next morning, I became a sun worshiper. Several reasons. First of all, I can see the sun. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Unlike some other gods I could mention, I can actually see the sun. I'm big on that. If I can see something, I don't know, it kind of helps the credibility along, you know? (laughs) So every day I can see the sun as it gives me everything I need. Heat, light, food, flowers in the park, reflections on the lake, and occasional skin cancer, but hey, (laughs) at least there are no crucifixions, and we're not setting people on fire simply because they don't agree with us sun worship is fairly simple there's no mystery, no miracles, no pageantry, no one asks for money there are no songs to learn and we don't have a special building where we all gather once a week to compare clothing and the best thing the best thing about the sun, it never tells me I'm unworthy doesn't tell me I'm a bad person who needs to be saved hadn't said an unkind word, treats me fine so, I worship the sun but, I don't pray to the sun Know why? I wouldn't presume on our friendship. It's not polite. I've often thought people treat God rather rudely, don't you? Asking, you know, trillions and trillions of prayers every day. Asking and pleading and begging for favors. Do this, give me that, I need a new car, I want a better job. And most of this praying takes place on Sunday, his day off. (laughs) It's not nice. And it's no way to treat a friend. But people do pray, and they pray for a lot of different things. You know, your sister needs an operation on her crotch. Your your brother was arrested for defecating in a mall. But most of all, you'd really like to fuck that hot little redhead down at the convenience store. You know, the one with the eye patch and the club foot. Can you pray for that? I think you'd have to. And I say, fine, pray for anything you want. Pray for anything. But, what about the divine plan? remember that the divine plan long time ago god made a divine plan gave it a lot of thought decided it was a good plan put it into practice and for billions and billions of years the divine plan has been doing just fine now you come along and pray for something well suppose the thing you want isn't in god's divine plan what do you want him to do change his plan just for you doesn't it seem a little arrogant it's a divine plan What's the use of being God if every run-down schmuck with a two-dollar prayer book can come along and fuck up your plan? (laughs) And here's something else, another problem you might have. Suppose your prayers aren't answered. What do you say? Well, it's God's will. Thy will be done. Fine. But if it's God's will and he's going to do what he wants to anyway, why the fuck bother praying in the first place? Seems like a big waste of time to me. Couldn't you just skip the praying part and go right to his will? It's all very confusing. So to get around a lot of this, I decided to worship the sun. But, as I said, I don't pray to the sun. You know who I pray to? Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci. Two reasons. First of all, I think he's a good actor, okay? To me, that counts. Second, he looks like a guy who can get things done. Joe Pesci doesn't fuck around. Doesn't fuck around. In fact, In fact, Joe Pesci came through on a couple of things that God was having trouble with. For years, I asked God to do something about my noisy neighbor with the barking dog. Joe Pesci, straightened that cocksucker out with one visit. It's amazing what you can accomplish with a simple baseball bat. So I've been praying to Joe for about a year now. And I noticed something. I noticed that all the prayers I used to offer to God and all the prayers I now offer to Joe Pesci are being answered at about the same 50% rate. (laughs) Half the time I get what I want, half the time I don't. Same as God, 50-50. Same as the four-leaf clover and the horseshoe, the wishing well and the rabbit's foot, same as the mojo man, same as the voodoo lady who tells you your fortune by squeezing the goat's testicles. It's all the same, 50-50. So just pick your superstition, sit back, make a wish, and enjoy yourself. And for those of you who look to the Bible for moral uh, lessons and literary qualities, I might suggest a couple of other stories for you. Uh, You might want to look at the Three Little Pigs, that's a good one. (laughs) has a nice happy ending, I'm sure you'll like that. Then there's Little Red Riding Hood, although it does have that x-rated part where the big bad wolf actually eats the grandmother, (laughs) which I didn't care for, by the way. And finally, I've often always drawn a great deal of moral comfort from Humpty Dumpty. The part I like the best, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. That's because there is no Humpty Dumpty and there is no God. None, not one, no God, never was. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it this way. If there is a God, if there is a God, may he strike this audience dead. <laughs> See, nothing happened, nothing happened, everybody's okay, all right, tell you what, tell you what, I'll raise the stakes, I'll raise the stakes a little bit, if there is a God, may he strike me dead, see, nothing happened, oh, wait, got a little cramp in my leg, and my balls hurt, plus I'm blind, I'm blind, oh, now I'm okay again, must have been Joe Pesci, huh? God bless Joe Pesci. Thank you all very much. Joe, bless you. Thank you very much. I appreciate
2: it. Hey, thanks, George. <clears throat> well, you know, one of the things he said early on uh, when he's talking about the God who loves us and yet condemns us all at once, reminds me of something I heard at a young age when I was growing up in Winnipeg around Some of my relatives, who I didn't know were relatives at the time, Uh, they were Métis and Ojikri people, and they said, they first told me about this um, fellow called Daganaweda, and long before the Europeans showed up, Daganaweda was called the Great Peacekeeper in the Eastern Woodlands tribes, and he brought in uh, the Great Law of Peace, which united the five nations into what became six nations, uh, the Iroquois, the Mohawk, the Haudenosaunee, all those others. And he warned them of a white, two-headed serpent who was going to come from the East. And he says, this serpent, and by the way, the word Vatican means divining serpent. He said, this two-headed serpent will have two natures. One head will be vicious and try to kill you. The other will speak very loving, soothing, nice words to you. And it doesn't even understand its own nature. It is crazy because it's two-natured, two heads, two impulses towards death and love. Well, that there's no better description of our culture, folks, than that. I mean, the very people who destroyed my life at the same time were saying they were going to pray for me. The very people who killed Maisie Shaw downstairs in the basement later were praying upstairs at the Christmas Eve service. And by the way, December 24th is the anniversary of her death. It's a Sunday. We're going to be holding actions and memorial services inside and outside churches in memory of little Maisie Shaw, who... Harriet Nahani, who I mentioned earlier, she's the one who witnessed her murder at the O'Byrne School, but El- Alfred Caldwell is murdering Harriet, or, uh, Maisie Shaw in the basement upstairs who's singing Christmas hymns, and this crazy two-headed nature all the time, people, we don't understand our nature, and it's because of that that we have to look in the mirror on this stuff and realize that we've got to step out of our crazy two-headed culture and reclaim who we are and have one heart and mind again. And we all have that indigenous spirit. We just have to get back to it. Well, the last part of the show, I want to, in that spirit, get away from religion, but very much talk about this story out of the Bible, which kind of uh, launches the Christmas season. It's from Matthew chapter 2, where, uh, you know, the announcement of Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Well, King Herod, here's what it says. The wise men came to the king and told him a child would be born. where is the king of Judea? A heavenly messenger then came to Joseph and said, wake up, take your baby and mother and flee to sanctuary and live there until I bring word, for King Herod will seek to destroy the baby. Then Herod set out in his wrath to exterminate, that's the word, exterminate all the helpless innocents in Bethlehem and its region, who were two years old and younger, relying on the knowledge of the wise men. And from every hilltop came the call to mourn and to weep inconsolably, for the mothers of the dead cannot be comforted. Well, that's the point. There is no comforting. Because Christmas begins with the slaughter of children, a state-sanctioned slaughter, a crime against humanity, which isn't a crime because it's an official lawful deed by a king, or by a pope, or by a prime minister. For child killing by church and state is as old as humanity, and as legitimate. The slaughter of the innocents, That begins the Bible account of Jesus' birth relies not only on the authority attached to it. Well, the government did it, the church did it, therefore we can't object to it. It relies not only on that authority, but on your reaction to it, or lack of reaction. Because after all, will you dare to disrupt the religious ceremonies and the worship services of these child-killing churches? Would you have disrupted the Uh, ceremony of the child-eating, state-protected fire god, Moloch. And by the way, that was the title of today's show, Toppling Moloch, not just uh, arresting its priests, because we're facing a system like they did in ancient Canaan in Israel. The fire god, Moloch, was this big statue, and it was a furnace, and there were seven openings in which you could put various offerings, plants, plants, animal sacrifices, and then the seventh chamber was reserved for your firstborn baby. You threw in the baby, and Moloch would grant you good crops for the year. Well, they had the whole system of, of child sacrifice institutionalized there, just like we do now. But the stench pervades our culture. And even when the bones of these children are found, they're denied, just like now. Fake stories issued all over Canadian media, including the so-called alternative media, that says, no, there are no masquerades of children even though we've documented even though they've admitted they're there, even though 60,000 children died and somehow their bodies vanished, Because their butchered remains are still here. And the question I guess you have to ask yourself is do you feel that fact at all? Do you feel the suffering of what happened when those children were butchered and thrown in the ground? Because, don't forget, they were killed by official order of church and state. And so for you to even think in those terms means you're going up against it. Like what they you know, we experienced at that school, you even start talking about it and the hand of censorship immediately descends. You're not supposed to know or care. You're supposed to toe the line. Your heart is to remain distant and numb, just as the victims are. The continuing victims are to remain invisible and forgotten. So the smart thing is to just stay quiet, think nice, positive things like people do in Vancouver so easily, and pay your taxes that allow the crimes. Don't imagine those mass graves or hear the terrible screams of, that are still coming from those children. Sacrifice your soul as their little bodies were sacrificed, all in the service of the emperor. Or you can do something else. You can do what your soul and heart and the victims require. You can risk everything in your life for the sake of those children and the ones who are going to die tomorrow if you don't act. That's the situation now in Canada or America or anywhere in what we like to call the civilized world. The same was true. In the year 4 BC, in a place called Judea, the crime and the choice continues. Well, you know, the words don't really matter. Ultimately, what matters is what you do. But I find it obscenely ironic that the Christian churches that have spilled the blood of so many children are going to present this reading you heard from the Gospel of Matthew. This Sunday, first Sunday in Advent, this coming Sunday, December 3rd, they're going to kick off the uh, Christian year by hearing about the mass murder of children, ironically, when the blood is on their own hands. Considering the enormous anger and denial Canadian churchgoers have displayed whenever we've tried speaking to them about their own genocidal acts, you can bet that very few people in the Catholic or the Anglican or the United Church pews this Sunday are going to draw a connection between Herod's slaughter of the Bethlehem babies and their own murder of 60,000 Aboriginal children. The Christian's Once a week, happy hour in church is not designed to place themselves in the Bible story or to make it apply to their own lives. Nevertheless, the blood of the innocent still cries out through every locked cathedral door. And that's the powerful message in today's gospel. And what I find really funny about this, all this this hidden humor all through the the Bible message, a group of wise men, so-called wise men, show up. And they seem to be either naive or stupid because they go to the king and say, hey, we've heard that there's a... uh, the King of the Jews is just being born, well, King Herod is supposed to be the king, but he's, these <laughs> wise guys show up and say we want to we want to find out where he is. Can you direct us to him? Well, like any politician, King Herod blithely cons the not so wise men into being his agents, he says, "I want to worship that newborn messiah too, and being naive, they believe him. The murderous intent is always surrounded in a religious garb for Isn't it a fact that people, especially rulers, much more easily kill and order killing when they believe there's a God who sanctions it all? And so like obtuse academics or unwitting spies on a secret op, the bright boys go to work for the killer on the throne. They eventually discover the little threat called Jesus, and they dutifully inform the king. So are these guys knowingly acting, or are they just naive or stupid? Well, either way, their news frightens Herod and makes him even more paranoid than normal like anyone with a lot to lose, he sees conspiracies everywhere. He distrusts the wise men and tries to have them arrested. But it says they go home by a different route. They outsmart him. Failing that, he then goes after baby Jesus, using the information so conveniently provided by his think tank wise guys. But Jesus and his family have been tipped off, and they have already skedaddled to a safe house in Egypt. Frustrated twice, what does he do? Like any ruler when he's frustrated, he takes it on on the innocent, and he orders mass murder. Every child in the area under two is killed. But this clumsy scattergun approach fails to hit Jesus. One can hear the gospel writer chuckling up the sleeve of his robe, despite all the bloodshed. But that's the corporate damage control pattern, the warning, the fleeing into exile, the murder. And then, of course, comes stage four, the great mourning of this ritual killing that can never find comfort. You can talk about healing and reconciliation, reconciliation you, all you want those were words created by the victims or their families it was created by white lawyers because Canadians love that word reconciliation it means oh we're all good buddies again as if we ever were and you ignore the great mourning going on all the time I find it really interesting that people of conscience don't ever stop worrying about this stuff because conscience doesn't allow you to You're there with the victims, crying out for justice until it happens. So, I mean, you know, this is all a lesson to all of us today, but it's what I find really neat about all this, and I used to say this in sermons, which got me in trouble, of course, but that was all part of the plan. It's amazing how even at his birth, Jesus is causing upset. He's causing hysteria among rulers, and he poses a threat to the established order. You know, in our innocence and our honesty, we evoke that reaction all the time in the guilty. They come down on us immediately. I mean, all I did was I started talking about things that people had shared with me, about kids being killed down the road in Port Alberni. I thought the people in the church would say, oh, that's horrible, let's do something about it. Instead, they destroy my life. 28 years later, they're still going after me because we're talking about their ongoing crime. So it's no symbol, it's it's no accident that Jesus has always been a symbol and an inspiration to people everywhere who are under the gun. And permanent outsiders who have been made that way by the truth and by our experience of the world the way it is and not how we imagined it to be. And I always found it interesting as a, as a minister because the reaction the middle-class people and poor people or poor people who are under the gun, the reaction was totally different to the story. The uh, Jesus' message, when he gets up at the temple, he says, I've come to set, up, to set the captives free, to raise up the poor and open the prison doors. In other words, I've come here to bring in the jubilee laws and turn society upside down and have a revolution where there is no up and down, there is no higher, low, rich, or poor. We're all one, we're all equal, the way creation made us. That causes panic and upset among the middle class parishioners, but you look out at the poor folks or the native people in the pews and they're all smiling and nodding because they know that that's the truth and they knew that, they well, that's why they were there, to listen that day in church and to try to put it into practice. It's what somebody once called creating God's good trouble. You stir up the trouble, that's how things change. You create the conflict deliberately, because you do it in the spirit of knowing that if you don't, you'll just have increasing bloodshed. And so, you know, all of these things are important, and it's also really important to look at the the words they use in the scripture warning. The first warning, you know, when the angel comes to Joseph and he tells him to flee, it's a warning. It's called, in Greek, kremazo, which means to be admonished and given a new purpose. So when you're given a warning about something, it's not to just save your ass. It's so that you can change and find that new purpose and go to a higher level in your life and not worry about yourself anymore, but take on a struggle for many other people as well. Flee into exile. The word is fuego. In Greek and Latin, it means to fly away, but also to be changed in the process to shun evil entirely and live in a different way. So again, these terms are not passive. You know, the way middle-class people hear this scripture is, Oh good. I can feel better about myself. Now I can change and be positive and, you know, healed. No, that's not what it's all about. It has a social meaning all the time. It means to be changed. So you can take on this crime that you've lived alongside for so long. And, you know, it's just read the passage, Matthew 2, 13 to 18, but read it with new eyes. From the point of view of Jesus and his family, under the gun, the assassins looking for him at his birth, just like they assassins looking for people like me, like the people in the downtown east side, like the people who gave testimony, they don't want the truth out, and they will do anything to shut it down. Now, of course, they're not going to kill you right away. That's not what they do. They don't want to create martyrs. They want to just do what they did in that school this week, Lord Bing Secondary School. Just blacken my name, get people afraid of talking about the issue, and I wouldn't be surprised if none of those teachers ever invite us back because they're being threatened. If you have a job, if you have a salary and an RRSP and a pension, you're vulnerable, and they know that's all they have to do with most people, threaten those things. But those of us who've lost everything, we can't be affected in that way. We're freer. And that's why I say anyone listening who is under the gun, well, good, great, because that will free you to act more effectively. As Harry and Honey said before they killed her, I used to be a, a victim. Now I'm a threat. And I always keep her words in mind because that's exactly what the evolution we all need to make. You don't do it willingly. You know. It's not like you willingly go out and do this. But when the, these things are stripped f- from you, security and answers and all of that, and safety is stripped from you. It's for a reason. It's because you've been chosen to do this work and you will be protected as long as you do the work. And, um, you know, I've learned that time and time again in my life. So I, I think in closing, I just to and the reason I uh, ended on that uh, brief reflection on the, the Bethlehem birth narrative is to show you how the stuff reading the Bible came originally from a time where it had an insurrectionist quality to it. It was a fire that was lit on the earth, but it's been domesticated and watered down and turned into nothing by religion and Christianity. But that fire lives within all of us and we're, we're to recover it. And it's these experiences and times like right now that give us the means to do that. And so, you know, take that to heart. And in, I'm going to have over the next, what they call the Advent season, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, I'm going to do more reflections on the different biblical passages that you hear, because, you know, when we talk about reclaiming the land, reclaiming the law, which is what we've done with our common law court on the West Coast, reclaiming the nation through the sovereign Republic of Canada, which we're going to do in our workshop next Saturday, teach people how to do that, there's also the personal and spiritual reclamation. We need to reclaim those Bible stories for ourselves. We've got to reclaim, as my ancestors told us all the time, don't have anything to do with the, with big church or with the state or empire. you lose the essential message given to all of us. The world turned upside down. What Jesus embodied, we're all that spirit, sons and daughters of God, each one of us, but only when we break from the murderous system we're immersed in, which blinds us and saps us of our inner fire. That's why next week one of the reflections I'm going to do is on what's called a Magnificat. uh, Mary's uh, song of praise, her joyous song of praise, in which she says, I'm a poor peasant girl, yet I've been given the honor of bringing the anointed one into the world. Not the rich, but us poor folks. And I find that time and again, why do you think people like William Coombs and Harriet Nahani and Johnny Bingo Dawson, homeless people with nothing, They're the ones who made history. They're the ones who turned the world upside down and forced the truth of the genocide onto the agenda. It wasn't the effete academics. It wasn't the professional activists. It wasn't all the people with safety who did it. They all hung back. They never took part in any of our protests or any of the church occupations. It was those people on the ground like Mary and Jesus who had lost everything and yet had the power, the spiritual power to turn the world upside down. It doesn't matter that it's all being covered up now because it'll be... Pulled back. The cover-up will be destroyed. The jails will come down. The lies will fall. The only thing that we take with us is what we've done in that sacred spirit where we give our life for our brothers and sisters and for the truth. So keep that in mind, folks. And in that spirit, we're going to go out on a wonderful song. Oh, before I mention the song, remember, go to MurderByDecree.com under ITCCS Updates. Go to the November 20th posting. Read the judgment, the summary judgment of the court and realize that with the community enforcement laws in place now and our warrants, you can take action to not only arrest these people, as is beginning to happen, and take back the land. You can reclaim their church properties and assets. There's a permanent banishment and reclamation order against these genocidal churches across Canada and across the world. Anywhere the Catholic Church, the Church of England is, you can invoke those reclamation warrants. Write to us, angelfire101 at protonmail.com, especially if you want to be involved in next Saturday, December 2nd, our online workshop in the Kamala Republic of Canada. And December 24th, a Sunday, prepare yourself to take part in our actions. In memory of little Maisie Shaw, who was murdered, that story triggered in 1995, triggered our whole campaign that brought out the truth of genocide. We're going to go out on a song by Hazel Dickens. They can never keep us down. Keep that in mind, folks. Take it to heart. Stay strong, stay clear. We'll be back next week. This is Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice. I thank you.